I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. After Mike Parth and his wife received a diagnosis of a rare disease for their daughter, he said they felt lost. What helped them most, though, was talking to other parents facing the same thing they were. A career journalist, the experience eventually led Porath to create The Mighty, an online publication to help people facing disability, disease, mental illness, and chronic health conditions with the belief that real stories from real people can be empowering. We spoke to Porath about his own experience as a parent of a child with a rare disease, the evolution of the mighty, and what he's discovered about the benefits people get from sharing their own stories. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about your online publication, The Mighty, what it's trying to do, and, and your own personal journey that led to its creation. I thought we could start with what happened when your wife was carrying your your third child. Your your two year old daughter was was diagnosed with a, a rare disease at the time, and you also learned that the the son that your wife was carrying was missing a kidney. What was your daughter's diagnosis, and was your son's condition related at all? Well, that that was the big question. Is we didn't know for a while if they were related. Um, it was a uh, yeah, it was a crazy day. We um, went into the doctor uh, in the morning for an ultrasound um, for uh, the son that we were going to have. It was a, a 20-week ultrasound, and that was the first um, indication that there was uh, a problem. Um, and it turned out that, um, you know, the doctor told us that there was, um, uh, there, that he was missing one kidney, and at that stage it could mean all sorts of other complications. Um, so he was quite concerned, and he asked if we had any um uh, any other issues in the family, uh, genetic or whatever. And at that point, you know, I was holding my daughters. We're talking to him and I said, well, she's two and a half or she's, she was two at the time and we're getting her tested. She's way behind all of her, you know, the milestones that a typical two year old would be at. Um, so we're, we're still going through tests. She's doing therapy. And, um, at that point we got home, uh, after that doctor's visit, uh, an hour later, we actually got the phone call with her diagnosis, um, from a, from a, uh, chromosome analysis that we had done had gotten done months ago uh and so that and then that diagnosis that diagnosis was um uh, a duplication on her 15th chromosome which the doctor had never the doctor did not know what it was did not know what it was called had never seen it before um so we actually even though we knew it was a duplication on the 15th chromosome we didn't know more than that um i ended up spending you know <laughs> the better part of the day googling looking for answers trying to figure out, and we ultimately, you know, did find that it was um, what's called Q15Q syndrome, um, and uh, it's, the, the, the traits are, um, it's autism, it's epilepsy, it's a number of other challenges kind of rolled into one, and um, and we didn't know at that point if my son, it was 20 weeks long, was going to have the same thing. It turns out that, that he does have one, one kidney rather than two, but that's the only the only thing he's kind of dealing with. Um, there's, there's no connection between um, what, what he's dealing with and what, and what my daughter has. So you've got this diagnosis of your daughter. How did that news change your world? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, we went from, 
I, I still remember that night, my wife and I were lying in bed. And at that point, we thought it was quite likely that my son was going to have the same thing that she had. Um, our doctor had basically said uh, it would be a stretch to think that they're not related, given how rare both of them would be. Um, but uh, so I went to bed that night thinking, you know, we're thinking the white picket fence, the two kids, the happy life and all that. And now it's like, are we going to be, you know, changing diapers for the next uh you know, 70 years, right? Are we just, is this, is this our life now? And, um, that was, you know, that was a, a hard moment to realize that we were on a different path than, than we first thought. And, um, and ultimately that, you know, quickly switched to, okay, a recognition of what we're actually dealing with and how do we, how do we parent differently? How do we, you know, how do we manage this? How do we manage our marriage? Cause that's a big part of it too. Uh, my wife and I were actually on the, you know, we had different reactions to this. In in some ways, I was actually relieved to finally know what my daughter's diagnosis was, um, although it was far worse than anyone was anticipating. Um, my, you know, at least I had answers, and I felt like, okay, now that I've got answers, I know I, we'll figure out a way to manage all this. Whereas my wife, um, she was more of the half glass full, thinking that um, my daughter was going to catch up to her peers and all those things, and then to get this news. And to read about, you know, other children with, with this disorder and, and, and realizing that we were on a very different path. But, you know, she took um, several weeks or months to really, you know, kind of come to terms with um, what was going on and to get over the why us kind of questions that I think a lot of people, um, you know, uh, ask themselves when um, when they get a, a diagnosis that they weren't anticipating. Well, you talk about The Mighty being more than a, a publication. You talk about it being a, a community for... <clears throat> people as a way to combat the isolation felt by people with rare diseases or facing such a diagnosis for a child. Did, did you feel yourselves isolated? Yes, absolutely. Because, um, our doctors, you know, had never heard of this before. And so, um, you typically look for a doctor as like the expert on whatever you're, you're going through and none of them knew what this was. And so, um, we actually leaned very heavily on a support group called Duke 15 Q Alliance which is a nonprofit that supports uh, uh, people with this condition. At the time, there we, we only knew of 300 cases worldwide um, of this condition. Uh, and so now it's, you know, fast forward seven years, and there's about 1,200 cases. Uh, but the likelihood is there's actually tens of thousands out there that don't have the diagnosis, even though they actually have the syndrome. Uh, but we, so we lean very heavily um, on other parents that were dealing with the same thing we were. It was a Yahoo group, and it became a Facebook group. Uh, and, um, you know, the mighty really stemmed from that in the sense that, you know, the, there's big health sites like WebMD out there, which do provide, you know, great medical information, but in terms of dealing with all the things that, you know, just life has to offer when you're going down this different path, um, you know, the WebMD doesn't have those kind of communities. So there's the other health sites that we looked at, um, they, they gave you information, but they didn't give you uh, a sense of, you know, people answering questions that you may have just, you know, day to day. And, um, uh, and so the idea behind the mighty was really, what if we, you know, built, uh, these communities where rather than giving medical information, we get real stories from real people facing whatever challenges that they happen to be, you know, having just very honest, you know, very vulnerable explaining what they're going through. Um, and not just all the bad stuff, but, uh, you know, my wife and I found is, there's there's so much good that has come out of this as well. Not not to sugarcoat the challenges, but 
um, you know, we have a stronger marriage because of the family that, that we didn't really expect dealing with things that, you know, we didn't know. I think we appreciate, you know, um, so many more things that, that frankly, I, I had them far more empathetic and less judgmental. And there's all sorts of those things that people in these communities do <laughs> want to talk about, um, but they didn't have an outlet for it. And so the, the Mighty was really born to, to provide a platform um, to help, you know, uh, these, the, the storytelling that ultimately, you know, we think is, is leading to, um, you know, real communities of people that are able to help each other out. Well, we'll take a step back. At the time you were editor-in-chief of, of AOL News, what, what was the thinking in launching The Mighty? Did, did you just quit your job and start the publication? No, I mean, it, it took me kind of five years um, between the diagnosis and, and launching The Mighty. I, the idea did not, like, come say we got a diagnosis or anything. Uh, my background, you know, as you said, I was a I was a journalist. I'd worked for big news companies, ABC News, NBC News, New York Times, AOL. Um, so I had an editorial kind of background. Um, and uh, ultimately, I, I became very involved. Um, that was on the professional side. On the personal side, I became very involved in Q Alliance, joined the board of directors, became fundraising chair. And what I recognized to that is that there were um, – the two things every nonprofit really needs is to drive awareness and to drive fundraising to ultimately achieve the goals that you set out. And um, I felt like one avenue to really help us do that was through story. That's what, that's what I knew well. And so um, we were able to raise far more money, um, kind of telling the stories of our kids and our families, explaining what we were going through, being very specific and showing people how we wanted to raise money uh, or, or what, what we were raising it for, showing them the results of all that. And, um, so it was kind of a combination where if this was working for 215Q Alliance, what, you know, what could we do if we were doing it across every kind of disease, disability, you know, whatnot. And so um, ultimately, so that process was a five-year process from getting the diagnosis to ultimately saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to kind of leave my job and really start something up. Um, and at that point, you know, that, yeah, I was able to, to hire the top writer at Huffington Post to come in and lead the, the effort. Um, so it was just me and her at the beginning. I was doing a lot of consulting to, you know, to pay bills. And um, several months into, you know, into growing the mighty, it took us about four months to get about half a million readers a month. Um, we were able to find some investors um, that, you know, that are now backing this. Um, so it's not, uh, I'm not pouring my, my life savings into it at this point. Well, when you went to investors, what was the vision for the Mighty? How did you explain it? Well, I, um, you know, much like I was explaining to you, kind of the, the purpose was to um, offer people a uh, to really build communities around this versus uh, um, just medical information, which was out there. And from a business perspective, you know, WebMD is a one point seven billion dollar uh, company, um, you know, publicly traded on the stock market, and Within you know less than a year, we had five uh, percent of WebMD's audience. So, from an advertising perspective, um, you know there are there are companies that want to get in front of this audience, and so that that's one route um, that we can go in terms of monetizing things. Um, we haven't started ads. We wanted to really focus on building community at first, um, but that was just with a three-person team reaching five percent of the audience that WebMD is able to reach. So, um, I didn't really come up with a you know, we didn't have to craft a, a, a you know, well-oiled, uh, you know, uh, you know, business, uh, you know, plan. It was more of these are the opportunities. Here's what we want to, you know, build. 
um, and we were able to get backers. And part of that, I think, was I've had a lot of success on the, in, in digital media, and part of it was um, I think people, you know, saw the, um, that our investors were able to see the traction that we were able to get and um, see the nonprofits that were willing to work with us, uh, see what, you know, what we could do in the long run um, if they invested in, in, in building this team up a little bit. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Well, what's the mix of content a reader can expect to find there? What, what constitutes a, a mighty story? So about one-third of our stories are written by um, the team, the editorial team that we have here. And we have people from the New York Times and uh, former director of Yahoo News, top writer Huffington Post. So we brought in really solid people um, that know the space well. And about two-thirds of our stories come from contributors. So we have um, it's about 1,600 writers now who are just writing from personal experience. Um, these are not professional writers. A few of them are, but uh, for the most part, these are, um, they could be parents writing about situations they're dealing with, with, you know, kids with special needs. Um, they could be, you know, uh, people writing about uh, their own, you know, their, whatever conditions they're facing. Um, everything is tied together by, you know, dealing with anything related to disability, disease, um, chronic health condition, mental illness, um, uh, everything has that, you know, kind of thread. Uh, all the stories have, have some element of that. Um, so, so we have about, yeah, two thirds of the stories come from those contributors, but we're at a point now where we're adding about uh, 40 to 50 contributors per week now. Um, so ultimately we're trying to use these stories to kind of, um, to build up the community, so to bring people in and, uh, and then get them to whether they want to, you know, become a writer or whether they want to just be a reader um, or some kind of ambassador for us, uh, just getting them involved in the community in some way. Well, when you're working with so many contributors who are not professionally trained and may have limited experience as writers, how do journalistic standards come into play? How do you create consistency and quality when you have so many contributors like that? Well, we do a fair amount of editing. So everything, it's not a user-generated uh, content site in the sense of, um, you can't come to the site and just post your own story and have it live with everything else. Um, everything is edited. Um, and so in that process, um, we, you know, if there's, if people are making claims that need to be fact checked, we'll explain that we need a source for, you know, this or that. But for the most part, they're, they're just writing about their, their own personal experiences. And so it's more of a narrative that is about, um, here's, uh, Here's what I'm, you know, what I'm dealing with, or this is the moment that really changed my thinking on something. Um, those kind of stories, which are more about, you know, perspective um, and less about, you know, fact checking and, and 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 you know more of that. So, um, but it's it's a it's a yeah. It's, I mean, we still consider a you know journalistic enterprise in the sense that um, we do, we do write news stories. Um, we work with um, a variety of big media companies. Yahoo syndicates our stories and parenting and health sections. We work with Huffington Post, um, Time.com. Uh, there's there's dozens of media companies that we're um, that we're working with. Where we're showing, you know, hey, you're missing all these these amazing stories that are out there um, on the health side that are actually, you know, uh, people that are sharing stories that are very very meaningful um, and should be shared. And and what's been one of the the best things has been, you know, we've had a number of contributors get on um, shows like Good Morning America and the Today Show. Um, you know, they're able, to, we're able to get their stories out far and wide, um, and, and then work with a number of these, uh, bigger networks, um, 
to, um, to, to kind of use them for a platform for these writers to get their stories out there in a big way. You decided to do this as a media company rather than a nonprofit. I understand that is it's a business model you understood and, and were comfortable with, but what was there a discussion about that before doing it? Was there a consideration of being a nonprofit and, and how does that affect what you do? Yeah, um, it was definitely a consideration. Um, my wife and I, this was, you know, like probably a year before we launched this thing, um, we started talking about, you know, really what this could become, um, what it could do, um, you know, the help that it could provide. And we were coming from a very personal perspective and spending the last five years, you know, working with um, the group that we were working with, you know, Do15Q Alliance and, and the experiences we had had. And at the end of the day, we really felt like we could actually do far more good um, turning turning this into something that was very big. If, if you look at the top, you know, 100 or even 500 uh, websites in the world in terms of their audience, these are not nonprofits, right? These are for-profit companies that are um, able to um, bring in a tremendous amount of money. And if we could do that, but then distribute it to all the nonprofits that we're working with, um, we thought that was far better than just being one of many, many nonprofits out there um, that uh, if we could kind of be more of an umbrella organization and bring them into work with us, but then take some of the advertising revenue that we thought we could generate and then um, kind of seeding that back into the nonprofits that we were working with, um, we just felt that that was a far better, uh, we could actually do far more um, that way than just becoming one of many nonprofits that are out there in the space. But you've talked about your partnering with nonprofits, but what role has that played in what you do, and, and how do those relationships generally work? So um, most nonprofits in the you know disease disability space, um, they um, have done a really good job building community, uh, meaning that they you know they have a lot of people that that participate you know, that that feel invested in them, and and they may they may have you know hundreds of thousands of people that um, could be on their Facebook page or, and whatnot. So they've done a really good job of that, but they typically. Um, are not all that skilled in storytelling and in, um, you know, writing and crafting um, and distributing stories that will actually have an impact on a lot of the people in that community. So that's where we come in and we work with them on finding contributors that will, that will uh, you know, that want to write stories on our platform, but then also like tapping into the community to understand um, what are the things that they're dealing with? What are the kind of topics they would like us to, to write about? Uh, and then they help us on the distribution side. So, um, you know, they will share our stories with their community, um, which brings, you know, more readers to the site. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's, you know, when we're able to get their stories out in a very big way, it's driving a ton of awareness to them. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits who have never uh, really been in the media before within a couple of weeks of working with us might have a homepage story on Yahoo where, you know, their name is in bright lights. And they get a tremendous amount of traffic to their site because of, you know, a story that we were able to help them produce. Um, in the long run, what we really want to do is when we start generating advertising revenue is um, seed a portion of that back into the nonprofits that we're working with. So it's not only that we're helping drive awareness. Ultimately, we think we can drive a lot of fundraising for them as well. What's uh, surprised you most about the Mighty as it's taken shape and evolved? I think the, the feedback from the contributors is what, um, has surprised me the most. Um, I always believed, you know, just based on my professional experience, that we could drive a lot of audience um, to these stories. Um, 
But what I don't think I quite grasped was how powerful they'd be to the writers themselves, um, who have, you know, they write into us every day and explaining some of the things that have happened as a result of, um, of them publishing on our platform. I mean, just, you know, one instance, there was a woman who, uh, thought that she had cerebral palsy for over 30 years. Turns out she didn't. She went to a new doctor and found out that she had a form of dystonia that, um, she took a pill and 95% of the symptoms went away. She got up, she was able to walk. I mean, it was really a miracle, you know, experience for her. Um, she wrote about that on our site within a few weeks. I mean, so the story kind of blew up in a big way. Within a few weeks, she was on the Today Show, you know, talking about what she'd gone through. Um, I had an email exchange with her a couple weeks ago, and she's now heard from over 20 people that have somehow in that process, I mean, her story was published in more than 30 countries. You know, there's many programs like the Today Show that she was on. Um, she's now heard from over 20 people who thought they also had cerebral palsy, heard her story, went to their doctors, got tested, and found out they had what she had. And it's, a, it's been a life-changing thing for them. Um, the fact that that started as a, you know, as a seed for, of a story on our site um, is, is pretty amazing. And that, um, I, the team gets <laughs> really revved up when they hear from writers about all the things that are happening as a result of uh, you know, the, the stories that we're publishing. Where does the mighty go from here? What's your hope for growing its content and community? So I think we um, right now we've focused on a couple um, specific areas uh, in terms of content. Um, you know, we want to build up rare diseases, a much larger area, given that there's um, that there's a need for that. I mean, there's 7,000 rare diseases out there, and the communities are, are really lacking, and, and we want to educate far more people and get those stories out there. So we want to put an emphasis on many different areas like that. Um, and then in addition to that, I think we want to, um, we want to explore video much more. Um, just in terms of the storytelling vehicle, it's, um, you know, more people are consuming video, much more of it is on, is on mobile phones. And so really starting to provide much more content, um, that people can consume in that, in that way, I think is a big part of the future for us. Mike Porath, founder and CEO of The Mighty. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.